Good morning. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Ephesians, which is uh, kind of in the middle of your New Testament, towards the back end of your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're working through a series uh, which we're just coming to the end to, got two more weeks to go, uh, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, what he does uh, in his people and through his church. Um, and what we're going to talk about today is uh, the, the unity of the Holy Spirit, the unity of the Holy Spirit, which is about the most kind of Jedi sermon title I think I've ever used. So uh, listen up, young Skywalkers. Okay, uh, before we get into it, I just want to recommend a book I've been trying to just recommend a few books as we go through this series just to help us if you want to go a little bit deeper with some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, so this book, which has a snazzy, very kind of 1997 cover, is called Does the Future Have a Church? Uh, which, to save you reading it, the answer is yes. But it is a wonderful, wonderful book which actually goes through the book of Ephesians uh, and really talks about how, uh, or God's, plan and purpose for his church, his bride, his people, God's passion for us and what he wants to do in his church and through his church into the world. We believe that the church is God's plan A uh, for changing the world around us, for reaching a broken city, a broken society. God's plan, his mission, how he's going to accomplish that is through his people, through us. And this book does a great job of kind of unpacking that. It's by a writer called Terry Virgo, who's actually going to be with us in October for a weekend. He's going to be speaking here on a Sunday. Um, so you can look forward to that. Um, and this morning, I want to look at this subject about the church and how the Holy Spirit brings unity uh, amongst the people of God and how that's a work of the Spirit amongst us. Um, and it's an important subject because I guess... It would be quite easy if you were a bit more cynically minded to look around and see lots of examples of disunity in the church. Um, maybe if you're a Christian here, you'll be familiar with lots of different stories. You've seen it happen where within a church, you know, the leaders have fallen out. Or maybe you've fallen out with people. You've had arguments or disagreements or you've seen it happen or you've read about it, you've heard about it happening, sadly this sort of thing takes place far too often that you find division and arguments, disillusionment, disunity. Uh, maybe if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, that's something that the church is kind of a bit famous for really, is being, you know, squabbling, and falling out over things and arguing over things and not being able to present a kind of a united front to the world around us because we're too busy knocking chunks out of one another. Um, so it's important that we look into this subject of unity. What does it actually mean? Uh, and how does God make it work amongst us? Because really, really what we need, and what we're going to try and unpack today, is we need a, a unity that comes by God, that's from God himself, that's made effective, that's worked out in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read from Ephesians 
chapter 4, the first 16 verses, which will appear, there you go, on the screen behind me, and then we will look at these verses together. So it says, I, so this is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus, uh, which is in what is now modern-day Turkey. So it's one of the first churches that got started that you can read about in the book of Acts and obviously in the book of Ephesians. So Paul's writing this letter. He says, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, because he was in jail at the time, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We pray. Lord Jesus, we want to come to your word uh, this wonderful gift you've given us uh, with open hearts, ready for you to speak to us, uh, to lead us again. Um, Jesus, we know that to be a, a Christian is to be a follower of you, and I pray you'd help us to follow you today. We thank you that something that you work in us, Holy Spirit. So I pray right now you would be at work to help us to follow you and what you've, you're teaching us today. Amen. Amen. So to look at this question of unity, it's important we realize why this matters. Why this matters. Why it's important. And particularly the question of well, where does this unity come from? Like how do we get it is a really important question. Because if our unity uh, with and your family with your community group in this church, with your friends, the people you are closest with, if your unity with one another is based on you or based on them, you'll find that it will only ever go so far because we're 
frail and we're human and we make mistakes and no one here is perfect, none of us. So that means when you take two imperfect people and you put them together or you take a whole group of imperfect people and you throw them into a room together, sooner or later they're going to disagree or they're going to offend one another, they'll argue, they'll fall out. And if we base our unity on, our, on ourselves and say, well, we just need to try harder, we just need to try to be nicer to one another, try to be a bit kinder, you'll find that sooner or later that will, that will crack, that will break. I can tell you that from experience, I'm sure you can as well, but just kind of trying to well it up with inside yourself will only ever get you so far. And when we look in the Bible and try and understand what unity is or where it comes from, what we find is that it never starts with us, but it always starts with God. It doesn't start with us, it starts with God. That's where we find our, our unity. So I would encourage you this morning to, when it comes to your relationships, to stop trying to find the answer within yourself. Well, actually, probably the, the, the thing we're most likely to do is to uh, project the blame onto other people. <laughs> this relationship isn't working because they are like that. They do this thing, they offend me, they've, they've wound me up the wrong way, they're irritating, they're, they're, they're broken, they need to get fixed. And obviously, it's always good to make sure that we're looking inside of ourselves, first of all, and saying, well... Maybe I'm the problem, not they're the problem. But ultimately, you won't find the answer by just looking deep into your soul. And that's how we're trained in society. When we, when we, we ever come across a challenge, uh, a, a circumstance, an issue, a relationship that's broken, we're kind of told that we need to search deep within ourselves to find some kind of inner magical Jedi power to try and fix us. But you won't find the answer within yourself. We find the answer within God. That's where we find our unity. And this unity we find is, is such an incredibly deep-rooted thing. It goes right into the very depths of who God is. So in this passage here, in verses 4 and 6, there's a bit of a, a kind of odd couple of verses where it says, there is one body, one spirit, just you call to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, which can sound a little bit confusing, but why these verses are here are to tell us that this unity, which it said in the verse before, we should be eager to maintain this unity we find in the very depths of who God is. It's, it's like a Trinitarian unity. That is, it's, it's how... The Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how they're in this perfect unity as one. Three persons, one God, that's what we believe as Christians, but in how they love one another, that God's called us and pulled us right into the very center of that love, of that relationship. So where we find our unity from is is right in the very heart of who God is, right in the very heart of what he does for us. We kind of, by his grace, we've been kind of 
yanked and pulled right into the very depths of his love, of his unity. That now if we want to know if we're loved by God, we just see how the Father loves the Son, how the Son loves the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit loves the Father, and we can know how much we're loved. You know, you might want to determine how much you're loved by your performance, by how you feel, by what kind of week you've had. Well, God can't love me because of all these reasons. But if you're a believer here in Jesus, he loves you in the same way that he loves his son. Isn't that beautiful? But in exactly the same way, you have a a unity from exactly the same source. He's called you into, first of all, into unity with him based on this powerful love. But you're also called into the possibility of unity with one another, not based on each other's performance, but based on the fact that not only does God love you, he loves them. And therefore, we're called to love them in the same way. So this unity never starts with us. It always starts with God. And it's made possible, it's made possible by the work of Jesus Christ. You'll have noticed that Paul started this passage by saying, therefore, I therefore, and then he unpacks what he's going to say. And whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, that's a bit of a hint that you might want to read what's happened before. And the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's outlined these beautiful, powerful, incredible doctrines, some of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible, proclaiming God's wonderful love for his people. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, this, this beautiful picture of how God talks about the, the dividing wall has been torn down, that the barriers that separated us from God have been removed, but also within that, he's not only reconciled us to God, but he's made it possible for us to be reconciled to one another. It says in verse 16, here we are of Ephesians 2, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he's talking here in this passage about the hostility that you might find between Jews and Gentiles. That's the audience he's writing to. So Jews would have been the people that had followed the kind of the Hebrew Bible up until this point, the Jewish faith, and Gentiles would be those, everybody else who isn't a Jew, who historically would have been held apart, who historically weren't allowed to worship together in the temple in Jerusalem. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, those walls have been removed now. That hostility is gone. Both of those two different groups, all the different groups that we see in society today, All the different nations represented in this room are called together in unity because Jesus has broken down all those barriers. He's reconciled us. We both have, it goes on to say, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That we're no longer strangers and aliens, but according to this unity together. It's made possible by his cross and it's made effective by the work of the Holy Spirit. Talking about this unity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us unified. That's what Jesus does. He gives us the power to work it out, to actually to make it 
happen. In the same way that the Holy Spirit doesn't make us holy, you've been made holy by the blood of Jesus, by his death and resurrection. He's called you into holiness. He's, he's brought you into that place, and the Holy Spirit enables you, empowers you to live out a life of holiness, catching yourselves up in what is already true about you. And in the same way, exactly the same way, is how unity works. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us unified, but gives us the power to work that out in our lives. So it's made effective by the working of the Holy Spirit, but really importantly, it's we have a part to play as well. It's maintained by us. So you're, you're often going to come across this tension in the New Testament. And over the summer, uh, through the rest of July and August, we're going to be talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. We're going to work through what those fruits are and how they work out in our lives. And you'll find, again, the fruits are something that the Holy Spirit has birthed within us, and he grows within us, but we still have a responsibility to, in a sense, garden the fruit, okay? To create the conditions within our lives where they can grow and flourish. It's the same way with unity. It's something that we receive that's made possible by the work of Jesus, made effective by his Holy Spirit, but yet Paul here gives us an encouragement, an exhortation to, to maintain it, to actually seek to work it out. We still have a role to play. Because we could think, oh, great, well, the Holy Spirit is doing this thing. I can just relax. I don't need to be nice to anybody because the Holy Spirit will kind of magically make me nice to everybody, right? Wouldn't that be great? It doesn't work like that, you know? The Holy Spirit is at work and he gives us the power and the strength, but we have to work it out. We have to live out that life. So that might be a bit confusing. So what I'm going to do is, is to really try and get into that um, and for us to try and understand how we should be, it says in, in verse 3, how we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we're going to Look at some of the other verses in this passage, but particularly focus on this verse. What does it mean for us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? So let's give us some pointers of what that looks like. First of all, to keep on being filled. To keep on being filled. And we're going to keep saying this in this series. This is the thing we keep coming back to, is that we need more of God. We need his help. You can't do it by yourself. So friends of ours in, in Ottawa, a church that we partner with there, they're going through the same series. Uh, me and Rich, who pastors the church there, we talked about, oh, it'd be great to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and we kind of planned it together. Uh, and they called their series that they're going through The God We Need and Ignore. <laughs> And that's often how we treat the Holy Spirit. We need him, but yet, even as Christians, we so often ignore him. And the one thing we're trying to do in this series is to provoke us to have a hunger for more of God, for more of the Holy Spirit, because we need him. We need his power at work in our lives. And the Bible tells us that we need to be filled with him. In two weeks' time, we're going to look at that question of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
to give you a spoiler, first of all, it starts with you saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I can't do this by myself. This mission that you've called me to, to love my family, my friends, my neighbors, my church, I need you. So the first step to help us to maintain unity is to be filled with God, to come and pray, say, God, I need you. Actually, a great way of maintaining unity is to pray with other people, to pray together. The, the church that Joe and I moved from to join here um, started, I think, about 40 years ago. It's a wonderful church. We didn't leave it because we wanted to escape. We were kind of sent out, and so much of us still has so much affection for that community. And one of the things that's really striking about that church is that over decade after decade, they've had a wonderful unity, particularly amongst the leaders of the church. There's been no major falls out, fallouts, no big disagreements. There are times when they do disagree, but they work that out together, and they process it together. And they try and do it in a mature fashion. But I think perhaps the key from having been there and been one of the leaders in that church, I think perhaps the main reason that they've managed to maintain that sense of unity is that they pray together. The leaders of that church, they pray together every week without fail. 6.30 on a, I think a Thursday morning is, they gather together and they pray. And there's something that happens when you pray with another believer, is that not only do you find in prayer a kind of a unity with God, but God draws you into unity with one another. That's a brilliant way to stir up unity within, within people. The Dutch theologian Abraham Cowper said that in prayer lies not only our unity with God, but also the unity of our personal life. As you pray, you'll find God draws you into relationship with other people. Teams that pray together stay together. <laughs> it's true. It's true. When you pray, God works something powerfully amongst you. So first of all, keep on being filled. Keep praying. Second, a, an, an urgency. Be urgent. It says here, be eager to maintain it's perhaps not the best translation of that word, eager. There's a kind of a, like a kind of a ferocity, a kind of a power to that word that doesn't quite come out in this translation. But it's supposed to be something with, with a kind of a, a passion, an effort, an, an energy to it. With, to be eager to maintain is like a relentless pursuit of something. And Paul has to, he's saying this to the church in Ephesians because, the church in Ephesus, because he knows that churches can forget. If you read the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, which Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in chapter 1, Paul has to write to them and tell them off because they were bickering. Because one of them was saying, No, I follow Apollos, who's another teacher you can read about in the Bible. Another was saying, No, I follow Paul. Another was saying, I follow Cephas or Peter. They had these little camps within the church that had formed. 
of some people saying, no, that guy's the one, we've got to follow him, and other people saying, no, no, over here, and they'd fallen out, they'd begun to argue, there was disunity, and Paul has to write and kind of gently give them slap around the face and say, come on guys, pull yourself together, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, that's what he has to say to them, because what they were valuing was a kind of an outward appearance over the genuine work of God. They were just saying, well, that guy's, you know, he makes more sense, he's more intelligent. He's got better clothing, so we'll follow him. It may sound a bit silly, but often we judge churches in the same way. Oh, their music's a bit better over there. Their teaching's a bit better over there. That church has better coffee. <laughs> it's not how we pick what church we're going to part of. This is, a, this is the family of God. This is the body of Christ. You've been called into this deep beautiful relationship with him, but with one another. There's something powerful. There's, there's this incredible unity that the Holy Spirit brings, which is so much bigger and bolder and brighter than the outward appearance that we often judge things on. We to be eager to maintain. Because so often we become just like mini fortresses instead. We do this all the time. We kind of build up the walls around ourselves. And it can take people quite a long time to find where the entrance is to that castle you've built around yourself. How to get in. You know, who really knows what you're like? The question you might need to ask yourself from time to time. Who really knows the struggles that I have? Or the dreams that I have? Who's helping me? Who's encouraging me to help me to follow Jesus? Who have I really opened up my life to? Because we want to be, we want to be kind of self-sufficient people. We want to be kind of together people, right? Like those people you see on Instagram. We want to be like that. You know, we can, I can solve this myself. I don't need anybody help, anybody's help. But there's a horrible pride at the center of that, isn't there? Self-sufficiency is very dangerous, first of all, because it can come from a pride that you want to be seen as together and being able to do things yourself, be able to solve all the problems. There's a pride there that you don't want, to, you don't want people to see your weaknesses, your mistakes. But also, when you're like that, not only do you rob yourself of some blessing you might find in the community of God, but you also rob the community of the blessing that they might receive. And you, and you bring into your relationships to this church family, when you bring your weaknesses, not only does that mean that people can help you, but you'll also find that you'll help others. <laughs> when you share the journey that you're on, this, I've found it so many times where people come and share something that's troubling them, an issue. And not only do I think maybe I can help them and bless them, but I'm helped. I'm blessed. I found it myself when I've gone to other people and said, I'm really struggling. I need your help. Not only does it do something within me, but it does something within them. It builds this trust. When someone shares something deep and personal with you, that's probably the first emotion you'll feel, a wonderful sense of trust. Wow. That person trusted me enough to tell me that. You feel that maybe you could trust them to tell them something. 
don't be a fortress, don't build up a castle around yourself because you'll rob yourself of something beautiful that God wants to do in your life. And I'd encourage you to never abandon the desire to build relationships because you'll find that in relationships you'll get hurt, you'll get wounded, you'll get pushed away and that can lead you to a very isolated place where you think, well, why should I open my life up again if I'm just going to get hurt again? Why should I make myself vulnerable to people if I know it's just going to lead me into pain? But yeah, I'd encourage you to pursue friendship again. That's what God's calling us into as his body, this deep and profound relationship not only with him but with one another. Where We're called to help one another, to bless one another. The Bible is full of these one another phrases, dozens and dozens of them, of how we can serve one another, love one another. And don't rob yourself, don't rob the community of the blessing that you can bring to them. Because what can happen is that very quickly your heart can harden. You know that feeling? You just, your heart feels very hard. It's actually a really... It's a dangerous place to be in, because if you read about characters in the Bible that that happens to them, Pharaoh in the Exodus story is perhaps the main character that you'd hear about, his heart hardening, and he doesn't have a good end, all right? You don't want to be like Pharaoh, trust me. Don't let your heart harden. So be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that happens by building Harmony, harmonious relationships with, it says here, in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. And that where it says here, be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that can sound a little bit like a kind of supernatural sprinkling that happens. Just this kind of heavenly peace that descends on us all. But actually, in this context, it's not talking about a kind of an internal peace that you'll find, it's talking about an external peace between two people, where the hostility is removed. We have peace between two brothers, two sisters, two people in God's family. And we can have that because Christ is our peace. Again, it says in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. We can have peace. We're encouraged to build robust, harmonious relationships with one another. In verse 2 here, it tells us to, be, to use humility, gentleness, patience, to bear with one another in love. Those, those are the tools that we get to use to build relationships. And some of them are fruits of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. Patience is a really key word here. Actually, perhaps the best way to translate that word patience would be long-suffering. Suffering with people for a really long time. It's not particularly joyful, is it? But sometimes that's what it takes in relationships. To bear with one another in love means you, you make a commitment to, to love one another, to love someone, no matter what. 
You say, I'm going to love that person even when I don't feel like they're loving me. I'm going to commit myself to a sacrificial commitment to one another. And we do that because, well, that's how we're loved by Jesus, right? Isn't that true? That he loves us because he loves us, not because of our performance, not because of how we feel, how we've reacted, how we've treated him that week. He loves us. Now, you might think, well, hold on a second. What if I'm in just one of those horribly one-sided relationships? Now, I'm not saying here that you just need to tolerate abuse if it's happening. Definitely not. If there's abuse happening in your relationships, you need to tell someone. You need to get that fixed. That is not healthy or okay in any way. I don't mean just physical abuse, emotional, spiritual abuse. Don't stand for that. But the first step probably is, if you're in a relationship which you just feel is just horribly one-sided, it's just for ask, ask, ask for help. That's <laughs> why God's called you into a family. It's to brothers and sisters around you who can stand with you, who can help you to walk through those situations that you can't cope with, that seem too big for you. It's because they are. And God's called you into a family to give you support, help, Next point is for us to exercise gifts. Exercise gifts. It goes on to this passage to talk about the gifts that have been given to us. And we've been talking about them a few weeks ago. Kind of these spiritual gifts. And they're given for the, the edification of one another. They're given to serve one another. And there's a wonderful diversity in these things. Because you know, unity... This is really important that you understand this. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, right? Unity in Jesus doesn't mean everybody has to be exactly the same. God's called you into a, a diverse community made of lots of different people uniquely made in the image of God. And in different ways, we all get to reflect different elements, really, of what God's like. But he's called you into this Wonderful diversity. Let me read a, another quote to you from Abraham Galper. Here we go. It says, go to the wild forest. See the crooked trunks, the twisted branches, the mingling colors, the endless variety of shades, and note how it is precisely in the whimsical interplay of colors and lines that unity is revealed in its finest expression. But what is our age doing on the model of an iron fence, it trims frolicsome shrubbery into a smooth hedge and prunes those wild trunks to the very top. The average is the standard to which it artificially elevates the one and forcibly flattens others, which explains the mediocrity of modern life. Wow. But that's all the time what society around us is doing. Because... Often you'll hear language, all the time will hear language of equality. Everything needs to be equal. And equality isn't a bad thing at all. God's called us into a relationship 
we're, we're each seen equally before God. There's no hierarchical kind of priest and a kind of lower ranking in the family of God. We're all called to be priests in his kingdom now. Priesthood of all believers. But yet, Christian unity, it's like a symphony, you know, in, a, in an orchestra. You've got all sorts of different instruments that make all sounds of different sounds. And when they play even, sometimes there's a bit of a kind of a dissonance. There's a bit of a, well, that sound doesn't really match up with that sound. But when you bring it all together, you get this beautiful tune, this beautiful song, this anthem that sounds out. That's what the church is supposed to be like. There's a unity in our diversity, in our, in our difference. Whereas the equality around us tries to flatten everything and say things are equal as long as they conform to this worldview. We can have equality as long as it all believes in this. It's the equality that we're all faced with around us is actually very oppressive. And God doesn't call you into something oppressive. He calls you into freedom in Christ to find a wonderful diversity in the unity of God. Because what equality does, even if we talk about Christian equality, and you've got to be careful with that, because what that is, it's bringing God down to our level. It's saying for us to all be equal, the emphasis is on our equality, so we bring God down to our level. What unity does is it pulls us up to God, because the most important thing is unity with him. That's the goal. That's the thing we're running to. The fact that the father looks at me and loves me in the same way he loves his son, that you're a co-heir with Christ, that you receive the same inheritance. That's what unity is. It's so much bigger and so much more wonderful than any human equality. So we need to exercise the gifts. Um, we don't have time to unpack this, but it goes on in this passage to talk about different ministries which are given to the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, how those things are given to help us to grow into maturity also finishes talking about truth, about speaking the truth in love. Um, unity isn't afraid of hard truths, okay? Unity within the church doesn't just mean that we say nice things to one another, but sometimes we have to say some things which are true but uncomfortable to one another. And true unity isn't afraid of that. That might hurt and be painful in the moment, but when we're doing it in love, when we're seeking to bring that person closer to Jesus, we want to serve them, then that can be a wonderfully powerful thing. Okay. The most important thing in all of this, because you might have questions about, well, I don't have unity in my relationships. And that can be a difficult thing to process. And if that's you, we'd love to pray with you. We really would. Love to stand with you and help you to work those things out. But you've got to remember all the time, the most important thing that God's calling you into is unity with him, to know God. And when you get that peace in your life sorted, you'll find all the other things will begin to flow out of that. Let me pray and then we can come and 
worship God together. Jesus, we just, um, we all of us know here that relationships are hard. <laughs> Whether we're parents, or husbands, or wives, friends, brothers, and sisters, and in your church family, we're all brothers and sisters to one another. We know that relationships aren't easy because we let each other down. We fail each other. We make mistakes. We say things that we regret. We do things that we know we shouldn't do. But we thank you that we know that we're forgiven by your grace. That we're washed clean now by your blood. That you've made us holy and righteous now. But you've also made our brothers and sisters in Christ holy and righteous too. You love them in the same way that you love us. I just pray for anyone here that's carrying any sense of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in their heart. So you'd help them to know the wonderful forgiveness that they've found in you and how the person that they're struggling with has also received the same. And that you'd help us to have a unity not based on how we feel, but based on how much you love us. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and reveal that to our hearts this morning. Amen.